Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's your favorite cat, Ear Extraordinaire, and welcome to another episode of the Yokumasaki Show. Today, by the time you get this episode, it's probably uh, June 10th, 2020. It's another day dealing with a lot going on in the world. Uh, a lot of the protests still happening, quarantine still happening. But I wanted to derail myself today to talk about something else, something that just occurred to me. Um, recently, uh, a YouTuber that I watched by the name of Wolf Den uh, basically reminded me about something that actually I wanted to address about, and it is about the state of E3, my personal opinion on it. Now, um, before I get started on this, I just want to remind people, I have never been to E3. I've never gone to E3. There were moments that I used to want to go to E3. And over the years, my knowledge of E3 started back in 2014, just when E3 was just, you know, starting to get a lot of buzz and the success of it. And <clears throat> personally, um, for those out there who don't know, recently it's going on, uh, it was announced this year that E3 has officially been canceled due to the pandemic of quarantine. Um, uh, for the COVID-19. So E3 has officially canceled. Then originally they were going to have an online event. Um, I believe by the company called the ESA. But apparently from what I heard, not many people are fans of the ESA. So that got canceled. So E3 has officially been canceled indefinitely and there's no online extremist about it. Now the only thing that's going to be coming out that I know that's somewhat E3 related in a state of it is on June 11th, uh, PlayStation will be releasing a special event that will be marketing about the information of the PS5, including an inside look of it. Um, originally, it was going to be on released on June 4th, but due to uh, the current state of uh, the protest that's been going on for the last few weeks, few days, they decided to postpone it in support of Black Lives Matter, which... I respect Sony so much for doing that, which I appreciate them personally myself for taking that moment and saying that we're going to postpone this event because more important things are happening as of right now. I appreciate them for doing that. Um, my knowledge for E3 came, I believe, in 2013, 2014, and I only knew at the time that only a, a few people could get in. And... It wasn't, I think, until 2016, 2015 that I started realizing that they had a, a way of letting gamers come in. Since then, my interest of E3 has deteriorated year by year by year. <laughs> and a lot of people will probably be surprised by hearing me on that sense of it. And it's crazy that you're probably saying, Yoku, why are you saying that E3 sucks? You never even fucking went to E3. Why would you even hate on it? Because... I've been watching a lot of people on YouTube, including gamers, uh, enthusiasts, influencers, who've never really said much about anything good coming to E3 compared, compared to other places like PAX or MAGFest or um, too many games or, or gaming or basically other gaming or gaming conventions like other like actual gaming conventions. Um, so I'm going to draw a few point points of why I personally feel E3 is not even worth it for me in a sense of it. First point is interest in the sense of it. Um is accessibility actually. That's the that's really the sub the title for it. So 
We know every year when they do E3, they always stream the more capable bits. IGN, at the one point of it, uh, YouTube Gaming does, Twitch does. They usually have streaming events where they'll have uh, people from the industry showing live streams of those events, basically. People at home get to watch those events to see premieres and screenings of certain games. The last time I actually watched E3 was actually, I believe, 2015 when they made the announcement about Final Fantasy Remake, <laughs> which, by the way, for those listening, I have yet to play it. I already know what's going to happen. There's already spoilers all over the internet, so I already know what's happening. I played the game before. I played the original. I've seen the original game before, so I'm not missing out on anything. It's just because of this pandemic, <laughs> it's hard to get a copy of that game. As you know, um, for those who also didn't know either, that uh, this whole last two months, it's been hard for. It was hard for me to get a copy of that game as well as a Nintendo Switch. I unfortunately. In one of the few victims that unfortunately had to pay six hundred to five hundred dollars for a Nintendo Switch that's originally priced for three hundred dollars, um, because of the fact that fucking bots online have been buying up, scalping, and scalping three uh, three D uh, uh, Nintendo Switches and reselling them for six hundred dollars to seven hundred dollars because of this pandemic, which is fucking bullshit. Every person from the industry to even influencers are basically saying, this is stupid. Whoever does that, you're a horrible person. And I'm just looking here saying, but that's how they make money. I feel the same way people are doing this with switches is the same thing people do with shoes. It's a, it's a business. People don't give a shit about what your feelings are. They're more worried about making some fucking bank. So for everybody out there saying you're a horrible person, to have to buy a switch and resell it for six hundred dollars, the person who's selling it's like I don't give a fuck about what you think. I'm only concerned about the fact that I'm making some money off of a console that's getting high admission and high sales because of this pandemic. Because let's think about it: since the early quarantine earlier last month in May, everybody who had a switch was on their Animal Crossing. And it's sad that. <laughs> I had no interest for a switch until I realized I didn't have much to be productive in. As a photographer, it's not a good idea to start trying to get bookings for shoots when most of your models and you are actually have to make sure your health is the number one priority. So, yeah, that wasn't really on my agenda. So if I can't do shoots or edits, I can't go to conventions because they're canceled. And so what do I have left? So that's when I realized, well, I'm going to have to do more gaming. And mostly people either were playing Final Fantasy VII Remake or they were playing Animal Crossing. And I realized the more people I was friends with, most of them had Switches. And I felt left out. Even my roommate had a Switch and was on the board of it. So I was just like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. So this is going to sound funny, but the Nintendo Switch technically is the very first nintendo console that i've ever owned the first one of nintendo i will ever own the closest i've had to a nintendo console i had was the ds the 3ds and a ds and the um was the 3ds a ds and a game boy advance and a game boy color those are the only mini consoles or hand consoles i've owned but when it comes to a 64 nes super nintendo um, 
a Nintendo 64, I said that already, uh, and a GameCube or a Wii, a Wii U, I've never owned any of those. I've never felt the need to buy those. I always looked at the Wii and Wii U as party consoles because when you really think about it, most of the games are for multiplayers. From Mario Kart, Mario Party, most of the games are multiplayers. You have to have more than one person. And what made Sony easy for me is most of the games from Sony were meant intentionally for one player stints of it. So it was easy for me to play one players for Sony games and for the consoles. And of course, you know, Genesis didn't have that much consoles out there yet. And I didn't own a Dreamcast until recently at the time, or at least till 2014, 2013, I owned one. But the point being is, uh, the, it wasn't until this pandemic that I decided that I realized maybe missing out on getting one. Um, but when I had my 3DS, I was content with that. I played Mario Kart DS with my friends. I played Pokemon with my friends. I did Street Pass with everybody else. Um, I, I loved Street Pass for my 3DS. That was the one thing I really loved the most about my 3DS was the Street Pass. I would go to places in Arizona in Cleveland and Sandusky to meet up with other people. And I would grab so many people, so many councils with other people in the sense of it. And so many other people I would meet and so many famous people I even got on my 3S. That's the one thing I'm going to miss about my 3DS uh, playing that. Um, but the one thing I would play the most is Mario Kart, drunk Mario Kart. More of my friends that I would go to meet in the conventions, particularly the one in Sandusky called Colossicon that I go to. Many of you know that one. Um, that one, I would go and meet with friends there and play Drunk Mario Kart with them. <laughs> it was a good drinking game. Unfortunately, times have changed. Games have evolved. Fortunately, the 3DS I bought was 500 and set was 500 bucks. Um, I was able to get it for 500 bucks. Plus, it came with Mario Kart Deluxe, and I bought Animal Crossing for uh, for uh, for a full price. Now, uh, that's gonna basically replace my 3ds so i send my condolences to my 3ds um if anything uh well but back to my e3 discussion um when it comes to e3 i have felt that everything that they broadcasted online is everything they broadcasted on television in, in, in the live action case of it. It's just uh, easier to have the experience being there with other fellow gamers and uh, influencers in a sense of it. That's pretty much the camaraderie in a sense of it. And then the parties, which I'm not a party person when you really think about it. I don't do much parties in some cases, except private, except certain ones that my roommates would probably start. That's the only parties I would probably get myself involved in is those type of parties. But other than that, not really uh, in that sense of it when it comes to parties like that. So, um, so when it comes to uh, parties outside of that, it's, it's just not my thing. Um, I uh, with the the whole thing of having people. Many other people influence the sense of it, that case of it. It's just the, the broadcasting sense of it, um, in that sense of it, never really much bothered me. Everything that they aired on Twitch, that relaxing sense of it, had more of a better experience than <clears throat> to uh, uh, switch everything else. 
So, yeah. And that's why everything I see on Twitch online is basically what they posted and what they show at E3. So it's not like I'm missing anything. Um, the second thing about E3 is there's no really, there's no benefit in progression for you as an influencer there. Most of the influencers that I've seen there, the only thing they've gotten is either um, credibility with being there, with meeting the developers and the, the people behind the game and uh, barely access to the game. There's a lot of, uh, from what I've seen, a lot of people there who, unless they have, they want to get first hands on to some of the games, not all the games are accessible at sense of it. And some of the games, like I said, it's better to just see how they are experienced than getting it firsthand. Because unless you're that much enthusiastic about a specific game that you want to play early in advance, that's literally the only case of it that I see. I am not always the demo guy. I have no problem waiting till the game comes out to experience it for some reason. It's just not my thing. Um, I will say the, the few random demos that have come out uh, from the recent years have surprised me. For example, the Final Fantasy VII remake demo, that shocked me a little bit. That I was surprised about because I didn't expect them to have that. Um, but like in some cases for walkthroughs and playthroughs that people see that I see other people play, that's fine for me. As long as I know that's what I'm going to be expecting to look like when it plays. That's my only thing. Unless they decide to mention up to the point where the engine, you know, could be different than what it appears on screen. And the only game that I know that has that is Cyberpunk. Uh, two, I think it's Cyberpunk. Yeah, Cyberpunk is the only game that I know that's like that, um, where the, it could be different from what it looks like. But I'm still looking forward to that game. Um, another, and the, the, the third reason, and this is the final reason, honestly, because it's not that long of a reason sense of it, is the benefit depending on your position. Now. This is where I draw some cases about it. I have a lot of friends who are in the cosplay industry, who are in the photography industry, who are YouTubers, who are gamers, hardcore gamers, gamer athletes, um, or reviewers, or press people, or merchandise people. And it makes sense for them to be there. That's their job, the sense of it, in a case, to check out in the finest of games, a case like that. Gerard Khalil, the completionist. He ha he's a well-known gamer. He has every right to be there. Um... Uh, the uh, YouTuber beat em up, beat ups, who is known for doing a lot of Nintendo Switch reviews and information and stuff like that. He has a right to be there, even though recently there's been some situation about him no longer being a brand ambassador for Nintendo, which I feel bad for him about that situation. It's just stupid, but yeah. The Game Grumps, Aaron and uh, Dan, Aaron, Dan Avedon and Aaron Hansen, Despite their humor and outside of the gaming situation, they are known for their gaming plays. It makes sense for them to be there. But there are a few people that I don't really understand to be there in a sense of it, you know. I won't name names, but there are a few people that don't need to be there. Um, another person I just realized who needs to be there in a sense of it, Digestine. She's a tech guru. Marcus Brownlee, that makes sense. Him too. Uh... uh um, even Andre, one of uh, Andre Meadows, uh, Black Nerd Comedy, one of my favorite YouTubers, one of my inspirational YouTubers. He, even he has to be there because he's a Nintendo nut too. So 
to some extent, there are some YouTubers that make sense to be there. A perfect example I want to bring up is from the merchandise end. Um, many of you know about the clothing line Filthy Casual. You've probably seen me wear it. You've seen a lot of people from Rooster Teeth wear the clothing line. You've seen a lot of cosplayers wear the clothing line. I know back in 2016, 2015, like it was their best year. They were getting a lot of press, a lot of attention, a lot of big names in the gaming and cosplay community were wearing their clothes. They were getting big hype. Um, at that same time, I got to meet one of the people who work at Filthy Casual, Casey Elder, a.k.a. Castile Feels or Cassie Feels or Castile um, on Twitter and Instagram. She is the girlfriend to uh, Jay, Filthy Jay, as I like to call him, who is one half of the founders of uh, uh, Filthy Casual. Now, I knew these guys. Well, they didn't know me or I didn't know them personally, but I knew of their work way back in Warp Tour, early 2004, 2005, I believe, when they used to be known as Cherry Sauce Clothing. They were a young merchandise coming up, right, right merchandise uh, uh, company. They were just starting their own merchandise to do for goth bands, for who are geeks, who are also rockers fans. And they, um, uh, they uh, were starting out their clothing line, like, you know, Geeks who are metalhead rock fans and such. Um, uh, they uh, were just starting out. And sooner or later, they realized, you know what? We want to focus more on the gaming ends of things and less in the music part. So then they started twirling towards the music stuff. Sooner or later, you know, they had people from uh, Yaya Han to Jessica Negri wearing their clothing line, which, you know, they tailor a lot of licensed stuff like Pokemon and things like that. And then they started doing more with that. And it came to the point where they started spreading out more of their clothing more and more. Um, like I said, to the point where people, like I said, make Turney, Stella Chu, um, you know, like I said, many of the Rooster Teeth family started wearing their stuff. Uh, I, I would see, um, you know, uh, Barbara, very from, from Barbara Dunkelman to, uh, Jeff Ramsey wearing their stuff. Um, at one point though, at one point though, um, uh, I knew that where their best year was, I think, like I said, 2005 or 2006, 2015 or 2016, I was just coming back from Arizona and I got, uh, I, and I was able to go to New York Comic Con, and I got to meet them all in person. I even have a picture with them. It was one of my memorable moments at New York Comic Con. My first time at New York Comic Con as well. Their clothing line is tailored toward gamers. They always get a pass and a booth sometimes at E3. It makes complete sense that they have to be there. Them being a merchandise for tailored gaming demographic, they have to be there. So. People like Filthy Casual, and like I said, I don't know them personally well. I've got to talk to Casey a few times. She's been distant so far. Personal situations, I don't know. I wish her the best. I hope everything's okay with her and everybody there. You know, this whole pandemic has been really keeping people a little bit tight-lipped, so I don't know what's going on. But, you know, I send a lot of love to all four of them. You know, they've been really good people, and I still consider them really good people. Darshell and Casey are amazing women, talented girls themselves. Mike and Jay, I really support their stuff, and I still support their stuff 100%. I honestly feel like because of the fact that 
every time I wear one of their stuff here in the East Coast, a lot of people have given me compliments because of the stuff that I've worn from them. So I honestly feel like they've gotten a little bit of a boost here in the East Coast because of it. And most of their stuff has been recognized more from the South than in the West Coast area. So, you know, that's just them. Uh, dropped a lot of stuff in the background. <laughs> um, but the point being is... Um, their store, their company, it makes sense that they have to be there at the convention. So, uh, um, just have a situation where, um, uh, clientele's always message me right around the time when I'm doing this when I'm doing episodes so I apologize on the the the, <laughs> the silence for a little bit um but what I was saying is is when it comes to uh that people like them for example they have to be there it makes sense for them to be there if they're a game developer if they work for certain companies uh development companies game companies you have to be there if you work for like IGN and stuff like that, you'd be there. But if you're a video game fan who, you know, in some cases like myself, I'm a podcaster. I'll talk about, you know, certain news and something stuff going on in the world and my game and gaming stuff. But now all my stuff is all about gaming. I don't feel I'm necessary to be there. Last last few days, a lot of people have been since Black Lives Matter have basically giving people an opportunity to ex not expose but give a push to a lot of youtubers and streamers and influencers of color and surprisingly i did not want to nominate myself i've given out a lot of shout outs to other people my boy in blake october who has been with me since my music career who also has a music career who's been doing more gaming as well uh, my friend uncommon soul who's done a lot of retro gaming and streaming as well, he kind of gives me a little bit of an essence of Etika. A little bit, not all the way. I'm, And I won't validate on that, on the sense of it. But that's just my feeling. So both of them, I respect and I give a lot of love to the highest honor. Right up there with people like Etika and Heavenly Controller. Um, but if anything, the one thing I will say is I don't feel I'm necessary to have the skill or the success to do that. Now, I've been lucky enough that photography has been my niche. It's been the only thing that's kept me exposed, kept me in exposure to the success of it. But again, even with that, there would be no reason for me to go to E3. And that's what really sold me on the fact of What's the point of me wanting to go to E3 and there's no in it for me for that? Every game that's been developed or being developed or coming out or has been press released in a sense of it really doesn't make presentation. And the presentations don't really make a big deal. Whether it's the orchestra or a celebrity there, certain cases, don't make that big of a difference for me. So that's why, honestly, I feel E3 just doesn't seem like that much interesting for me. So the fact that we're not getting one this year doesn't really make much of an interest for me in that sense of it. I wish I could say that I would I was more excited for it and such. 
I just, it just did, never showed that benefit for me. And I've never really built myself as a heavy gamer. I just built myself a person who loves video games instead of it. I'm not going to lie. And while I do have the necessity tools to become a streamer if I wanted to, if I wanted to push into it, I just, there's so much in my mentality that it doesn't work for me on that sense of wanting to make that of a commitment and a success. That's why, honestly, when you look at my Twitch channel, I'm lucky enough to have at least 70 followers, even if I can break 100. And it's only because the fact that um, I have a few audience members who either supported me because I support them, I think, or the fact that some people who personally know me are supportive. That's the only reason why I feel like I have at least that limited numbers. Um, I could do at least a one day full day stream and I'll be lucky enough to even get a thousand over a hundred subscribers uh, at least that so that's why I've never really pushed it pushed much of it and again there are many people who follow me on Twitch and and, and much of it and they've been let down many times because I've had many moments where I'm supposed to be scheduling a stream and it never happens. And I apologize to all those out there who have, um, it's usually emotional situations coincidentally that happen that prevent me from going forward into wanting to stream. Sometimes I even get a, you know, last minute jitters and I back out from wanting to stream because you, it's a lot of pressure that everyone has to go through. I feel every person who streams that I'm friends with, no matter how little their setup is to how huge their setup is, they have to go through so much to put on a presentation to put in their face to thousands of people on the internet who can make it fun of you in a second, the instant you do something wrong, that it will be marked on you for life. And it could come to the point where you could be successful for it. And there could be a part of it where you could be ridiculed for it. And every day, people have to do that online through a, sub, through a streaming service uh, online for the benefit of other for viewers. And like I said, it could either be to a good excuse of it or it could be to the bad one. And that pressure is enough to make me shit, make me want to shit my pants <laughs> if I have to be expressive about it. Even if I'm not in front of public audience it's or in front of a live audience, it's still enough to make me pressure to that point where I'm scared to death. And that's why, if you ever wonder why I don't always go through sometimes with my streaming time schedules, or I don't have a legit schedule in my streaming, or there are moments where I've unfortunately not gone through with the streaming times of it, it's because of those reasons. I could say it's my setup, my technical setup. Um, I could say it was, excuse me, I could say it's my setup, I could say it's my, um, my equipment, I could say there was an air problem, I could come up with every excuse in the book, and some of them are not excuses, and sometimes it really happens, but it all boils down to my self-esteem, so... I mean, there was one point I wanted to do a birthday stream because I don't get a lot of birthday parties. I don't. I don't ever. I've never had a birthday party in my life ever. I've had a few people who come over, give me a birthday present or got me a cake and balloons. This year was the first time that someone actually decided to bring me a cake card and balloons. And it was the sweetest thing that she's ever done for me. And that girl is I, I still love her to death for that. 
However, there are still people out there who I've got nothing simple than a Facebook or a tweet or a text wishing me happy birthday, which is it. And I get it. Everybody doesn't always celebrate their birthday. It's just the little things that matter. sense of it. And I get that. But you know, there was moments where I've always felt like, you know what? I would love to have just one, one party that would just signify the party of all parties in the sense of it. I'm not saying I want a triple X or a project X party. I ain't saying crazy shit like that. Um, but you get what I mean. I'm pretty sure you all get what I mean. Um, the point, but anyways, I'm going off track probably here in the sense of it. I felt that if anything, I wanted to address about that situation when it comes to um, my personal feelings about the fact of, you know, my social situation and my credibility in a sense of it. Because a lot of people say, what do you do? Are you an influencer? Are you a gamer, a streamer? And I'm like, I'm, you know, I stream and game here and there, but I'm more of a photographer. Now, if I could honestly, without any restrictions or any legal situations, be able to just stream all my photography work, then yeah, that could definitely be a situation. But I can barely do that because I'm afraid of the fact of the legal situations that happens because I've seen a lot of YouTubers in the photography game have been shut down or certain times have happened because they don't get the opportunity to do that. And I'm not perfect at that as well. You, Many of you have probably saw the attempt of streaming I tried to do with uh, my, my friend and model Haley Royals. I tried to do a stream of a shoot with her. That didn't go so well. I'm pretty sure many of you tried to see that. And I did that on Instagram of all places. So it's not always a hit. It's always, sometimes it's a miss. Um, but... For the product of the sense of it, when it comes to my work, but it's never been uh, disadvantaged to that sense. So, um, I feel that same way when it comes to E3. I don't feel I have what's necessary for that. So, I can be contempt not being invited to E3. Now, the last thing... Now, I, technically, there was another thing I would have added to this list of reasons, and that was the pricing. But you know what? <laughs> I've been to conventions where the pricing is... Not, I've been to conventions that are pricing ridiculous. For example, New York Comic Con was $200 for me. And I've had a better experience there, briefly, at some cases, than I did I would have at E3, honestly. The only downside for New York Comic Con was... The hotel reservation and uh, the hotel situation, basically. Um, the hotel, we had to get at the last minute. The transportation, we had to do ourselves. Um, my Half of my group ended up taking a plane to New York while I had to take the bus with another roommate. We had to share the bed, which felt really uncomfortable because I'm very uncomfortable and claustrophobic like that way. Um the bed, uh, unfortunately, due to a uh, situation with one of the models that I shot with, there was some damage to happening to the uh, the, uh, the bed. Um, there was a situation that did what happened where I couldn't pay back the model or one of my friends who was the roommate of the convention at the hotel situation. Um, and then at the end of the con, before we left, we ended up having our stuff soaked because we had to leave and exit the room a day early before the end of the convention weekend. 
and we had to walk around with all of our luggage. And I had a lot of luggage. <laughs> and unfortunately, all of it got soaked and damaged. So most of the stuff that I got bought from the convention got damaged from water. So it, it's not my my roommate's fault. And then my roommate, one of my roommates in the con, unfortunately got sick that she couldn't even attend the whole convention the whole weekend. That was even worse. So other than the fact that, like I said, I still had great memories at the convention. There are still memories I've had. Like I said, I got to meet the, I got to meet all four members of the, the filthy casual crew. I got to meet Jessica Negri finally for the first time in years, despite the fact that I was technically her neighbor in Arizona. Uh, I got to meet um, uh, uh, Gabriel Luna, who is known for being in Terminator Dark Fate, who also was a ghostwriter in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. I got an autograph from Clark Gregg, Agent Carson himself, and uh, Daisy, the actress who plays Daisy. Um, uh, uh, her name just slips my mind now. <laughs> Um, but I, um, and then, uh, I got to see, uh, the locations that they filmed most of the Netflix shows for Marvel's, Marvel's Netflix shows. Um, I got to see exclusive, uh, videos from all the Netflix Marvel shows as well. Uh, so, you know, um, uh, I got to meet some famous artists who were there. Uh, I believe Neil Adams was there, uh, who's known for doing a lot of Batman work. Um, one of my closest friends who lives there, uh, her name is Nami, her daughter and her, who got very famous, they were there as well. The only thing that I missed out, honestly, was I also got to meet some Rooster Teeth people as well. Barbara Dunkelman I got to meet. Um, Ashley Jones I got to meet. Uh, the only person that I really wanted to, two people I wanted to meet there who was there, but that couldn't make it there in time, um, was Kevin Smith. And Andre Meadows himself. Andre has always come to New York Comic Con for the benefit of IDW, who owns the licensing for Ninja Turtles. He's always come every year to New York Comic Con. And Kevin Smith has always come to New York Comic Con in general because it's Comic Con. Um, Andre was there, but I wasn't able to meet him because he was there for a limited time. And Kevin Smith only showed up on Thursday. He was only there for Thursday and Thursday is when we got to the convention area. We didn't even have tickets for the convention. I only had enough. And here's the other part. New York Comic Con's tickets, I was only able to get two-day tickets. Friday and Saturday. Thursday and Sunday were sold out completely. I could not get it. I was trying to get a weekend ticket for all four days. They were sold out within the... the 20 minutes and then they did with this whole online um uh this whole online queue thing where you had to wait in line and wait for your turn to show up so you can get online tickets and they could have been gone within a second and the moment that i got in line i didn't get to my ticket set till one o'clock and by that time the three day the four day weekend tickets were sold out so it was technically pointless and what's even worse is even for two-day tickets, I had to pay almost $200. And half that money I had to borrow from my mother. So I had to make what's best of the whole thing in New York. So what I did was is I took up some of that time that I couldn't go to the New York time Thursday when I got there to sightsee as much as I can in Times Square. I got to go up to the buildings, the lights, the 
company buildings, the stores, all the locations in Times Square that I could possibly do within the short span of a few hours that were still busy. That's the only thing I was able to do. I got to see um, Megan Massacre's tattoo shop, Gritten, uh, her tattoo shop. I got to see the Cake Boss's shop. I got to see the Viacom building that used to be the MTV building. Um, I got to see, uh, you know, uh, the New York Times building. Um, I couldn't even go to Central Park. I have never been to Central Park and I couldn't even go there. So I was limited to what I was capable to do in New York within the three days I was there, the four days I was there. Um, the Sunday before we left, we were only able to see at least from eight, from 12 to two o'clock because two o'clock was when our bus left. Um, from then on at one, um, uh, I had to, I had to walk my way from the, and then what's worse is while everyone else had to take, uh, a, their own ride home to New York and got a taxi. I, on the other hand, had to walk my luggage from the hotel all the way down to the Javis center where the con is convention is where the bus stop for New York is. And that bus trip was 60 bucks because it was a two day trip. So again, there was some downsides to that, but there was some, I made the best of what I could. It still was a great, it still was a good experience for me because it was better than nothing. I didn't take for granted what I did there. Now imagine that same situation when it comes to E3, the limitation of ticket tickets, the transportation situations there, because I just want to mention for everybody out there, I have a high intolerance of anxiety and my anxiety is up there communication with mathematics and testing, which is why I was exempt from taking the profession high school proficiency test. My anxiety is to a testing standpoint. The point you give me either a mathematical question, a mathematical equation, or you testing me in general is no different than me walking up to Carmen Electra and asking her to marry me in front of thousands of people like the wild stranger I am I'll be sweating bullets pissing and shitting at the same time and sweating my ass off so imagine that doing that and then also while I'm naked let's just picture that if you need an analogy of how bad my anxiety is that's what it is that's the level that my anxiety is now my only advantage in the sense of it is my well before I get to that actually is I also want to mention the fact that that same anxiety goes to the point of my driving skills. I unfortunately because of my mental illness and my anxiety and, and such of it, I was not able to get the benefit of being able to be uh, uh, skillful to take my driving test license. I've not had the I've had failed. A number of 20 to 30 times the written part of the test because of my test anxiety and most of the time that time has happened because of the fact of i have not been able to drive because the fact that i can barely pass the writing test and it's not because i can't answer the questions and i know the knowledge it's the fact that i can remember the questions i can answer them properly separately in a sense of it but the moment i know that i'm getting tested for it is the moment that my anxiety flares up and then I'm a deer in the headlights. I know nothing. My mind can close completely blank. And I got to go questionnaire guess by guess. 
my memory completely is lost. Um, so imagine that for the writing part and then the driving part, that's what the problem is for me. However, on my own knowledge and my own common sense of things, I can drive and know the capability of the laws. I know the, what to do when uh, the lights turn a certain way. I know the certain directions to go, what lanes to do, how to drive, what buttons and gears to push and such driving and how, how to work a car how to adjust everything into a car, in a car, know how to take care of a car, essentially. However, the moment I know I'm getting tested for that is the moment I'm, I lost all my mentally human uh, capabilities. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what's preventing me for the longest time to be able to drive, not able to drive. I've driven, legally, illegally, I have been able to drive my mother <laughs> from out of the hospital getting discharged whenever she goes in for surgery and drive her home without any problem of getting stopped or pulled over. And I've been lucky for that. I wouldn't recommend it, but I've been lucky for that because it's not like she's going to be able to get any help from anyone else and it's not safe for her to drive. So I've been lurching it up to help her drive. However, excuse me, um... If there was a police officer right next to me driving while my mother is doing that driving and a discharging a sense of it, and he's telling me, you're going to be tested for this whole thing, you wouldn't see me get out of that parking lot. <laughs> I would get out of that parking lot. If I got through the drive through out of the parking lot, I would have failed completely. That's the whole situation for me. And that's why, honestly, if testing was not a situation for me for my driver's license, I would have had my license already. I can technically drive by logical sense. I just can't drive because of the legal situations of my uh, capability through testing, which is why I have to explain to people, I can drive. I just can't get my license because my test anxiety is shitty. But if my testing was not a capability and they just said, well, you get your license because you know how to drive and that enough, I would have been at my license. I've driven sober people, drunk people home many times when I've gone to parties and such. I have no problem driving. I can drive like no no problem with nobody else. It's just the moment that I know I'm getting tested or I've been told it's a test or it's the point that it's a test happening. It's the moment that it fails on me. And I've spent money many times on that. So, But um, derailing from that point of it, um, that alone, that capability, that situation alone is what prevents me from being able to travel much, especially with my skills as a photographer. I've, if I had the driving capability and my license and a car already, I would be driving from Chicago to New York, to Pennsylvania, to Maine, all the way to Florida, to Texas, all the way back to Arizona. I'd be back in Arizona right now, just making a trip on my car and my gas money. Not even worrying about the clothes on my back or what I'm food or anything I'm eating or anything. I would be content with being able to just with enough money to pay for gas to take me to and back to where I am. I could do that. But the problem is, is if I don't have my license, and my driving, I got to rely on other transportation services. And those aren't cheap, whether it's a tech, whether it's a bus, plane or train. It's not cheap, which is why I've told people before my conventions uh, appearances are very, very limited. If I'm able to acquire the funding for transportation or someone's willing to take me transportation wise to a certain locations, to certain cons, I can go. I definitely will be able to pay. However, if not, there's no need for me there. Like, honestly, 
as much as I love Colossicon West, which is the Colossicon of Sandusky, I would love to travel to Colossicon East. I've heard great things about their Kalahari. Ten times better. Less humid, less sweaty, more cooler, a lot of good locations, beautiful weather areas, much nicer locations of it, Not hotel, no hotel crampness. Very, very convenient. I've heard great things about that Colossicon and that Kalahari. It's just I ain't got no way to get the Poconos Manor in Pennsylvania. There's no way I can make that there. Not unless you're willing to pay for my bus, plane, train ticket, or you can drive me there yourself from Ohio to there. Unless there's a way you can take me there from here in Ohio, it's not going to happen. Otherwise, I would love to go there. There are so many conventions I would love to go to. Otakon, uh, Holiday Matsuri, Matsuri Khan. Um, I believe um, Katsukan. Um, Katsukan is one I would love to go to. I believe it's in Maryland. Um, Anime NYC, Crunchyroll Expo. Some of those I would love to go to. It's just, unfortunately, due to my, again, transportation services in senses, I am unable to go there. I If there was a transportation service that allows me to drive me from one location to a whole other city and I wouldn't have to pay almost over $100 for it, I would take that in a heartbeat. I would sign, I would like, sign me up. I'm definitely down for that. But there's no way in hell there's a driving service that would take me from Ohio to even Maryland or New York City for under $50. No way. No way. Not even Lyft would do that. That's too much money. The gas, the transportation, the, the taxing, the toll booth uh, fees, it's not, it's not possible. And I understand that completely. That's how things are in these states. It's just unfortunate. I don't have the funds to be able to do that. So for all those out there who ever wonder, like, how come you never go to Holiday Matsuri? Or how come you don't know Motoga Khan or Otakon or Katsukan? You should definitely go to those or go to the Florida Comic Con and stuff like those. You should go to those. You should be able to go to those. How come you haven't gone to those? Get me away there. That's all I ask. I'll pay for my ticket. I'll pay for my room, hotel room with other people. I just need a way there. That's my thing. You get me away to any of those conventions, I can assure you I will have the funds for both the ticket and the hotel room. I'm willing to pay for both of those. I don't spend money anymore at conventions like I used to. The last time I did was Yomacon, which was my first time there. I don't have to spend money at conventions. I don't have no I've adjusted to window shopping because now the what I can bring home is my photography. That's the that's the swag I bring home every con I go to. Colossicon, for the last three last three years, I've not had to buy anything from any of those cons. Why? Because most of the time when I'm buying uh, those cons, I could buy online. And it's nothing against the artists in the artist alley in their amazing work. It's just, unless I see something that interesting for me in artist alley, I don't see any need of buying any merch from there. But when it comes to the dealer's rooms, for those official merchandising from Stuffed dolls to action figures to pins, posters, wall scrolls, pillowcases, and even the Blu-rays and DVDs of most of those anime movies and shows and games. 
all that I can buy online. It's very conveniently easy to online. Places like JList or even in Amazon and eBay, it's easy to find that stuff. So I really don't need to buy it at those places because they're basically taxing you more when you buy it from them. The last thing I bought at Colossicon was a used copy of, Cow of the Cowboy Bebop Blu-ray set. Only because the guy offered me half the price that they were selling it for. The Blu-ray is around $30. He offered me $25 bucks for it. And I can't say no to that. So, yeah. Other than that, I've not really bought anything. Now, uh, Yomacon, I did make one mistake. I bought a bot Blu-ray of a Volume 1 for Ruby. And crazy enough, I paid $15 for that Blu-ray. But then, two weeks later, I found out that they were selling the complete series of Ruby from Volumes 1 through 6 for the same price online. That's a mistake I made. So now I have to find somebody to sell that to. Um, but other than that, you know, stuff like that, just my mistake of the case of it. But I bought other things like t-shirts and stuff like that online. But the one thing I will say I did buy at uh, Yomacon is I wanted to start what's called an eat a bag. And I know many of you have seen it online. Eat a bags are basically bags that shows a heritage to one of your favorite characters or characters of certain shows and anime. And for those out there who want to know, my personal love for Momo in My Hero Academia is very extent. She, I believe she's part of the main crew, yet she has not been given a lot of exposure in the anime, except as being the bumbling love interest to uh, one, of the, one of the main characters. Uh, it's been a while since I watched Lohim, My Hero Academia, and I'm in a moment right now that I can't remember names so well. Just give me a few times and I'll remember most of the people's names, believe me. But Momo sticks out a lot for me. So uh, I wanted to make an eat -a bag for her. And what you would need for that, other than the bag itself, a much decorative bag, is you would need a you know you would need charms, pins customized by certain artists in Artist Alley. Now I found out about eat -a bags from a YouTuber named Kelly Eden, I believe her name is. She's very known for doing cosplay, uh, Sailor Moon related, but she also has a, she's also known for her very intimate apartment house that's, she redecorated like a dollhouse. Um, and she's also known for watching, doing a lot of reference of videos with other cosplayers and such. She has a pastel goth type of style. Um, she's known for doing that a lot in her channel. Um. I found out about Edabax from her because she actually has made one uh, based on Sailor Moon and then she's made another one based on one of her favorite characters, Seth Roth from Final Fantasy VII, I believe. I believe she's made one of that. And I've seen other people make Edabags. And I've rarely seen men make Edabags, which I guess it's a gender thing. I don't know. But I wanted to make one for Momo. So I have a couple of pins, buttons, charms, and keychains that are dedicated to Momo that I'm going to make an eat a bag for in the future. But at the same time, that's what it is with her when I have on that sense of it. Um, but when it comes to um, merchandise, that's the only thing I bought at Yomacon. And I spent almost $100 for all that stuff. So, that I, again, that was the one time I bought something at a convention. Other than that, I don't really buy stuff. So when it comes to photography, that's usually my my merch, my uh, purchasing things, the shoot with cosplayers that I've always wanted to shoot with. Colossicon two years ago was that for me. 
That was one of my favorite moments was three years ago, Kalasakan. I think it was 2016 Kalasakan it was, actually. Jessica Negro is there, saw her for the second time with Ryan. Uh, met Stella Chu there. Met Mika Burton, shot with her as Mika, with Mika Burton as well, which I'm very honored for. Um, met Momo Kurumi as well. Uh, met uh, Anya Braddock, Regan Catherine, um, uh, uh, Jenna uh, Lynn Miauri was there as well. The only person I didn't get to meet who was there that I wanted to meet was Delicious. Um, so she's the only one I didn't get to meet. And oh, and Arcane Rar. She was also there, but I didn't get to meet her either, unfortunately. So there were some people who were there I didn't get to meet. Um, I'm now friends with Vanity Fox. Shout out to Vanity Fox. I met Bendo Geek, despite their falling out as well. Um, shout out to Bendo Geek um, in the Party Cat Directive. Like I said, I met so many cosplayers and grown friends with it. Daniel Bendaloo, I got to work with her. Uh, I got to work with also Daniel D. Nicola as well. Um, so uh, it was it was a great experience. I loved working with most of these with those cosplayers that I've mentioned earlier. Have selfies with them all. It was a great experience. I loved working with them all, and it's and it was the it was the best Colossicon for me at that time. Um, so that experience is way different than E3. If I don't get that, that's and that's the other that's the last reason why E3 is different for me in that sense of it. I wouldn't get that same camaraderie with E3. E3, I've never known it to have much of an accessibility with cosplayers like that, except when they are working for companies that are promoting their games, promoting games and such of it. And that's the reason why, honestly, I don't see a big deal about not going to E3. So if I have to sh close out the statement about E3 in a sense of it, it I'm not missing much. I <laughs> really am not. Um, so that's pretty much the gist of why I feel E3 is not much of a miscapability. Now, they'll probably have it again next year once this COVID-19 pandemic slows down finally, if people or if people finally get through their heads that this quarantine needs to happen and such um, and people start getting their health up. Uh, once that starts happening to the point where it's safe to go out and be socially active again and social distancing is no longer a situation to happen, people will, uh, you know, it will come to the point, uh, hopefully, that um, E3 will be back. Um, now, like I said, places like BlizzCon and, uh, you know, uh, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, even though those are canceled as well, those are cons that I would love to go to. That would probably price the same much as E3, but it's entirely a different situation. So I could go on about those, but I'd rather not because my focus right now is just the fact that E3 doesn't feel like a convention for me. It feels more like CES. And it's a, and CES is a, is a technical convention event for technical and spe specialists. Think of it as a Silicon Valley convention and not the sitcom, may I add which I love the sitcom, <laughs> just stating out there. Um, so yeah, that's why, that's ladies and gentlemen, is why E3 is not much available for me and why I really don't feel the need of ever having to want to go to E3. But I'm more proud to all of you gamers out there, streamers out there, 
who uh, want to go, who go to E3 every year, who enjoy the moment, enjoy the serenity, enjoy the atmosphere of E3. More power to you. Before I end this episode, I want to send a personal prayer and end this on a silent note, um, dedicating this episode to my my aunt Claudette, uh, who recently passed away this week. Um, she was a light situation about me. Honestly, I have to tell people my aunt Claudette is the closest thing to Medea. She was such, she had a silver tongue. She was funny. She was loud. She was brashy. She was clever and she did not take no mess of people. My mother adored Aunt Claudette. In fact, my Aunt Claudette wasn't even my aunt by biological blood. She was my cousin. But she was very elderly. And out of respect for her, because of the fact that my mother cherished her so much and how much I respected her and cherished her so much, I called her my aunt out of respect. Um, but biologically, she was my cousin. My um, my mom, there's only two people. There's only two. one person who I don't have much respect for that I won't call them by their title and one that doesn't have that title, but I've given them respect out of that. And that is my Aunt Claudette and my father's mother, uh, Catherine uh, Harris. My father's mother, Catherine Harris, biologically is my grandmother, but she does not deserve the title over the years of that. And I've mentioned many times, I've mentioned on my previous episode on those stories. So you probably, if you don't know what I'm talking about, watch my last two episodes, listen to my last two episodes and you'll know the story on that. But when it comes to someone who deserves the title and that respect is my Aunt Claudette. One of the things that will always go in my memory for her, and I always have to pay my food, Aunt Claudette, my Aunt Claudette had this amazing way that of um, she would bake these Hawaiian rolls homemade. You think King's Hawaiian makes the best sweet rolls in America. You have not tried my Aunt Claudette's sweet rolls. She makes them so good, she would put King's Hawaiian out of business if they were marketed. And something about the way she made them homemade, my mother for years tried to replicate that recipe and with no avail. No avail. It's the one memory I will always go for her. And like I said, I could go off of every other memory from her. I can go off the fact of her daughter being uh, being a thief always looking good though but she's but you can tell she's a thief i can go off the fact of her uh her grandson who looked like he could be a pro football player looked like he was half samoan yet he was black and biracial though uh i can even go for the fact that her music collection was so strange like at one moment i see everything from teddy pendergrass to um alexander o'neill and then once in a while i'll see too short and i'm like does my Aunt Claudette listen to Too Short? For real? She that hood? It's so weird. But then I would realize, you know, she was open to listen to other music from her relatives or nieces and nephews and such. Um, Her house, I remember her house was so exotic because she was the last person I knew who still had an old analog TV that still worked for digital cable. It was so weird. The TV was so old. And I remember she would watch her stuff on that show on TV with my mother, including their retro stuff like Westerns and all that. My mother was very close with my aunt, Claudette. 
so close that at one point when my mother and I got into an argument, my mother refused to have me come in that house and I had to walk home. Um, my aunt was a very cherished woman, very, very lovely woman. And I'm going to miss her completely and dearly. And I had always thought she would be strong enough to still live. She was such a sunshine of a person like out of right up there with my godmother daisy right up there with my uncle milton she was one of those sassy silver-tongued very much sassy human beings and while i didn't get a lot of praise from her because the fact we don't see each other often i'm pretty sure my mother would told me many times like many of my other relatives about how much potential of a I was as a youngin with my grandma. Um, it's crazy though the fact that I've known her for so long. The last time I saw her was um, we uh, went over her place and I got into an argument with my mom, and I almost had to walk home. And then the next day we went over there because my mom was trying to get the recipe from her of her sweet rolls. And I walked in the house by myself in there. Um, then another memory I had from her was we had a family get together, almost a family reunion at my house in Swanton, my mom and dad's house in Swanton. We had every family member there and she wanted to help my father with the cooking. My father cooked a large full pig on a spit roast. She wanted to help as much as she could. So my father helped her by cutting up the pig and she would dice up the pig. For everyone to serve to serve and she would have no problem just sitting there sitting on two chairs because she was so wide she's sitting on two chairs got a chopping block in front of her and just took every piece of that pig and she just went to town cutting it up now me i'm not a pork person i didn't touch that stuff but it smelled it smelled good my father did an amazing job cooking that spit roast of that pig i was waiting on that lamb like every like my father and most of the people because this was right around the time that i was still muslim so I had to deal with that. But I remember she was talking, making jokes about everyone while she's doing that. And it's like, it was like the fact that when she was doing it, she was multitasking. She's cutting up that pig, not taking her hand, looking her eyes on the board, on the board and just sitting there looking at other people talking smack about everybody in that room. It was so funny. And like this old woman who's so big, she's sitting on two chairs is cutting up that pig and not even looking at her hands while she's cutting it up. That's how badass she was. And I said to my mom, you know, that woman, she's got to be a fighter. She's got to be strong like that. And know that she passed away this week. Shocks me to my core. And I know a lot of her family from Sophie to Tasani to Xavier to Toto are taking it so, so hard. So if you're wondering later down the month when I'm not speaking much based on the fact of the funeral, I hope you all understand the fact that I just want this moment of silence in her honor. So before I go so tonight, so to today's episode, so I would like to dedicate this episode in her honor with a last silence.
And that will be it for today's episode. And I thank you all for listening. And as always, this is your favorite caddy extraordinaire saying later days.